0: Well, good morning, everyone. We're so glad you're here. I know that you didn't come to see me. I, I understand that. But uh, we're going to spend a few minutes here in the text. You got to see uh, a representation of the Christmas story. But allow me to read uh, the story of Christmas out of the book of Luke to you today. So if you would, would you stand as we read uh, from God's word this morning? From Luke 2, starting right there in verse 1. These are the words of God. It says this, And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "'Do not be afraid.'" I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared to the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them, And gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what they had been told them about this child. And all who heard of it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising god for all the things that they had heard and seen which was just as they had been told this is the very word of god thanks be to god you may be seated so last weekend my wife molly and i we planned the quintessential christmas evening with our kids Molly and Micah, our son, uh, would arrive home after riding the Polar Express train, the real Polar Express train, train, while the girls and I would prepare the famous family Christmas cookie dough. And then when they returned, with Christmas lights and music on, we would make the cookies all while talking and laughing as we decorated each one. And then we would conclude with our favorite Christmas movie while snuggling on the couch together. It would be sheer perfection. You laugh because you already know the end of the story. You already know the end of the story. The Polar Express train ride was in 60-degree weather, stuffy and cramped. Cookie dough making consisted of me cleaning up extra messes and yelling at the girls not to touch anything. Cookie making itself was a disaster, took too long, and was happening during that windstorm. So every about 30 minutes or so, the power would go off and we'd have to reset the whole thing. The kids talked through the movie and complained of being bored until we finally just called it and sent them to bed. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Merry Christmas. You see, there's an ideal, and then there's the reality. There's the ideal, the thing that you you dream up, the thing that you envision, the thing that you think is, is this perfect thing of what it's gonna be or what it's gonna be like and then reality smacks you in the face right and i think at christmas time in this season is where we experience this dichotomy of the two most uh, kind of most tangibly because we all have our romanticized traditions and visions of the most wonderful time of year we all have those iconic traditional uh, moments that we want to capture and see and appreciate and watch back over on our phones and cameras what are all you people doing sitting in the front row why are you so close to me <laughs> haven't seen you in these parts before it's because we want the moment right we want the moment we want to see the little lambs doing their little lamb stuff and we we want to see the kids and the the, the waves and the movements we want that moment that ideal picture at christmas time and I'm not knocking the moments. They are special. And sometimes the planets align, and a night that you you uh, schedule, a night that you plan, something you do actually does kind of work out, and it's a really nice moment. But we will know that the rest of the time, there's a difference between the ideal and the reality. Most of the time, there is a distance between what we think, the perfect image in our head of what it is, and then what it actually is. And, and the Christmas pageant that we've created is no different. And I say we, but we do it all the time. Movies and uh, uh, pictures and, and, and pageants. The nativity is this idyllic version of Christmas. And, and we do this because it's God. The creator of the universe and for thousands of years, we've glamorized his birth and actually paint this idyllic picture of it. In fact, although I think that this Christmas pageant right here actually did a good job talking about it being smelly and yucky and it wasn't necessarily the perfect Christmas, I think they actually did a really excellent job reminding us of the difference between the ideal and, and the reality. You see, there is this reality of what the Christmas story actually was. And when we actually get to that story, we begin to see the Jesus for who he really was. We're in an Advent series right now called Christmas Creeds. And so what we're doing is we're using different Christmas passages and our own statement of faith here at our church, which are sort of those foundational beliefs of why we exist, why we gather, what we believe foundationally about Christianity, about who God is, about who Jesus is, about who the Holy Spirit is, these foundational core things, and seeing it through the lens of Christmas— And seeing that this Christmas story actually gives us all of those foundational elements to our faith. And so today, we are looking at the person of Jesus, specifically what we call the incarnation. We believe as a people, we believe as a a Christian people, we believe in a Jesus who was fully God and at the same time fully man. Fully God and fully man. The incarnation. Incarnation, like the word carnivore, God in flesh. We believe this Jesus, fully man and fully God. Right from our uh, statement of faith, our Randall Church statement of faith, we say we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God and that he became man when he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. If you are a member of this church, you've agreed to the creed. You say, yes, this is this is one of those statements we believe and we will actually kind of hang our lives on. We will, will build our entire life around this truth. Now, this will not be a long message today, but the length is not indicative of the port- importance of, of this topic. One scholar puts it this way, one of the most crucial topics of Christian theology is the deity of Christ. It lies at the heart of our faith, for our faith rests on Jesus actually being God in human flesh. Fully God and fully man. And we understand this reality at Christmas time. When we look at the Christmas store, we see a God, fully God, and yet, come from these humble beginnings, come, come from these uh, places where we go, that, that doesn't sound like a God to me. That doesn't sound like something a God would do. And yet, it is because God is fully man at the same time. Let's take a look at a couple here quickly in our time together. In Luke 2, what we just read, it reads that Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee in Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. He went there to register to marry with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him, and was expecting a child. Now they had mentioned it actually again in in this uh, Christmas pageant. Again, I think they did an excellent job here. They mentioned the fact that Bethlehem was kind of this small, insignificant place. This wasn't Jerusalem. This wasn't some big, powerful uh, place. It was this tiny place little, remote, rural village with an estimated uh, population of a whopping 300 people. Not really the place where God of the universe, you would think, would want to be born, and yet we do. The prophet Micah, he tells us about this Bethlehem. He says the Savior is going to come out of it. And he says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of Israel. Although you are small and insignificant, obscure, the God of the universe is going to come from you. Now it also says that Joseph is pledged to be uh, married to Mary, who is expecting a child, but they have not yet been married. And so we actually see earlier in the Matthew account of Christmas, it actually says this about Joseph. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace because she was expecting outside of their marriage, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. This, is what, this was Joseph's plan because he knew that if anyone found out about this— total public disgrace, and ruin. At particularly at that particular time in history, expecting a child outside of marriage was societal ruin. So we have this kind of disgraced couple keeping a a, a secret. There's an artist, his name is Everett Patterson, and he read this uh, passage, and it really inspired him. So he, he did this drawing. What he wanted to do is he wanted to help us understand what perhaps uh, Mary and Joseph, how we would have perceived Mary and Joseph if we were in the present day. And so he calls uh, this, uh, this uh, work of art, he calls it Jose y Maria. And he's like, how could I capture in present day what we would think of if we were driving by a gas station and looking at a couple at, I mean, now the pay phones. Pay phones don't even exist anymore, so I don't know how current this is even anymore. They'd have to be on some cell phone or something. But how would you do—and this, this uh, picture always resonates with me. Of sort of a down-and-out couple looking for a place to stay. He says this. The artist says this about it. He says, I hope that this Christmas image will come to mind when we see other down-and-out people huddling outside a gas station reminding us that our Savior's parents, and indeed Jesus himself, were at one time similarly troubled. This is the reality. This is actually not the ideal, but the reality of what socially this would have been like for them heading to Bethlehem. The Luke passage continues. It says, while they were there, the time had come for a baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now we've talked about this before in, in Christmases ago, but uh, almost certainly there was no inn in Bethlehem. You don't build an inn for 300 people. That, that type of thing just probably, uh, almost certainly wouldn't have been And so the implication is, it's really more of like a guest room. That's a better translation for this. That they walked into Bethlehem, and nobody had room in any of their spare bedrooms. This was something that you would have in a first century home at that time. Sort of an upper room where you would be able to receive guests. But when Mary and Joseph get there, it tells us that there's no room in anyone's guest space. The implication is that no one had room for Jesus. Not just some jerk innkeeper. No one had room for Jesus. Nobody let him in. The king of the universe. And he had no place to go. The God who came to us was turned away in the first hours of his arrival. And so they resort to a place. And this is all we're really told. We're not told there's a stable. We're not told of of any other place. Other than that they found a place where there was a manger. This is where they found it, which is probably likely a sheepfold. This is where mangers were in a first century, uh, in this first century setting, is that they were probably some sort of sheepfold. Not a wooden stable, as as nice as this is. There was no wood in that part of, of the area in that time. It was all rock and stone. There was no wood particularly. It'd be something more like this, like a little, a cave. Or or a little, like, inlet on the side of a mountain. This actually comes right from Israel itself. These are images from Israel itself. This is what, this is where a manger would be. Some place like this. A, 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 A place, a sheepfold where for thousands of years, generation after generation, would come to bring their sheep into There'd likely be this little manger, a little inclove, and then maybe a little place under your head that you could call your own. And these these sheep folds were used for thousands of years, generation after generation, to bring and herd and, and, and help the shepherds in there. These folds were used uh, all the time, hidings in these rocks where sheep were brought in. And mangers weren't, did not have hay, In the Middle Eastern, shepherds, they do not bring hay to the shepherds. You go and bring the sheep to the hay. Make them do the work. You're not bringing—so there's no hay in a manger. The little Lord Jesus did not lay his sweet head in hay. They laid him in a watering trough. That's what a manger was. This is a first-century manger. It's always built with stone. There's no wood in that area. It was always built with stone. It was mused to water and, and, and bring water to the sheep. So there's no hay. There's no nice—the uh, uh, nice, nice songs away in the manger is sweet, but uh, the little Lord Jesus did not lay down his sweet head in a, in a bunch of hay. It was likely something like this. Picture it with me, if you would. And I'm trying not to dramatize it. I'm just trying to paint a picture of the reality versus the ideal. There's a six inches of soot on the ceiling because this cave had been used since Joshua arrived. Generations of fires caked in soot. On the floor are literally feet of manure cobwebs everywhere pigeons nesting all on the back wall with inches of droppings down the wall the smell is overwhelming it's cute when the kids sing smelly dirty sheep but stand in one of those caves one night and tell me deliver a baby in in there and there like i said there wouldn't be straw or hay just a just a little stone watering trough a manger to lay the child in. The God of the universe was born in an insignificant village to a disgraced teenage girl in a filthy, rancid cave on a hard stone-watering trough because nobody would let him in. This is what we build our faith on. It's this idea that God came down to earth but came like, like that. The God of the universe, born in an insignificant village to a disgraced teenage girl in a filthy, rancid cave on a hard stone-watering trough because no one would let him in. One scholar says the contrast between the birth's commonness and the child's greatness could not be greater. The ideal, the child's greatness, the God of the universe, the ideal contrasted with the commonness of the reality of the place he was born. Another one said, Luke is establishing the very ordinary and humble circumstances of his birth. Whatever the reason, even in his birth, Jesus was excluded from the normal shelter others enjoyed. Another one said this, We know only this, that everything points in the birth narrative, everything points to obscurity, poverty, and even rejection. You see, we understand the reality of Christmas. We understand the ideal of the incarnation. That we worship a God who is fully God. And it goes to great lengths to show us just how fully man he is. Just how fully he is willing to come down into our circumstances and dwell among us. The God of the universe, the ideal, the the best, wonderful, counselor, everlasting God, Prince of Peace, that God, the ideal of our lives and of the universe, would sit in our reality. And not just put his toe in it, but as these scholars say, Fully immersed in the human experience. Which is smelly and dirty and cold and rough. And said, I'll sit with you there. I'll come into this world there. Let's invite the band up as we just kind of conclude this morning. You see, out of our love for Jesus, what we do is we turn Christmas into something nice. It's the God of the universe, of course. Of course we would want to make it as as beautiful and as wonderful and as glorious as we can. And yet, when we do this, we do a disservice to ourselves because then we lose the very reality of the Jesus we are worshiping, who is fully God, absolutely. But is fully man. And willing to come into that reality fully for us. You see, the nicer we make Christmas, the harder it is we are to understand who Jesus is. He was fully God in his idyllic, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peaceness. And yet he was fully man in all of his common, real, humble, unremarkable rejection. You see, we believe in a God who knows what it is like to live in our reality. We know a God who understands what a failed cookie night is. But we understand a God who knows what it's like to be that kid who's going to receive one of those Christmas gifts out there who didn't think they were going to get anything. We worship a God who knows that person. We worship a God who... Who understands what it means to lose? And we understand a God. We have a God who understands the frustration with rulers and principalities. We have a God who understands that. We have a God who understands pain and separation and rejection. his power, and his might, and his glory, and those angels who sang that night, sang this magnificent song of this God who is fully man, and yet they said to the shepherd. have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin so then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need as well let's remember that Jesus he's the only God in any religion who can empathize with our weakness, but he is also the only God who did not sin and therefore can take ours away. That's the power of the incarnation. It's not just that we have a God who can sympathize with us and can put his arm around us and go, I know how you feel, man. As, As wonderful as that is, he's also fully God in that he can say, yeah, I went through that, all the the darkness and coldness I'm I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad that you did, and I hope you had a good smiles and enjoyed the singing and the videos. But my hope for you too is that you'll know the reality of the Christmas story, is that we believe here at Randall Church, and anyone who believes in the historic right there we'd love for you just to put a few words like hey i'm just wrestling with this i'm thinking you don't have to come to just some decision right now you don't have to uh, be ready to do that be like hey listen i'm just kind of exploring this and I, I didn't i didn't know it was all about this but this is resonating well, can i can i talk to someone about that we'd love to just start that conversation one of those foundational things we rest our lives on, a, a, a Jesus, a God who was fully like us to show us the way forward, to die on a cross for our sins, to say all of that coldness, all of that darkness, all of that filth of life, I walked through that. I was born into that quite literally.